Okay, everybody, welcome to uh, the latest episode of Popcorn Drink Combo. Uh, I'm Doug. My co-host is Peter. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. And we are going to be doing a bit of an atypical movie for the podcast, but uh, certainly a lot to talk about. We are going to be doing Ted Kocheff's 1982 film, uh, ultimately titled, alternately titled Rambo, but usually titled First Blood. So and this then... is the first uh, in the uh, Stallone series about uh, the sort of a misunderstood Vietnam vet John Rambo. Didn't it end up as Rambo colon First Blood one? After this, <laughs> I think that's how it ended up after the sequel came out. Yeah, Rambo, I don't know the First answer Blood to one. that. I don't know because the answer then, to that because the sequel they called First Blood two. So I think that's how the they sequel ended up is doing. First Blood Part two. Right. I think they ended up doing Rambo First Blood, but the book that it's kind of based on, that the screenplay is based on by David Morell, which I have not read, was called First Blood, I think. Right, right. Do you know, by the way, just before we get too far afield, do you know who wrote the screenplay to First Blood Part Two? Sylvester Stallone. And Jim Cameron. Jim Cameron, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because it feels I think I think what that really means is Jim Cameron wrote it and Stallone kind of tweaked it and put his name first because it feels very, very much like a Jim Cameron movie. And there's there's multiple elements, for example, that appear in First Blood Part Two that also appear in Aliens, which is just made a year later anyway. Hmm. Well, you know, not that I, you know, didn't like watching this movie, surprisingly, uh, but let's not do First Blood Part Two next week. Yeah, no, I don't think there's enough to say there. I don't think that there's <laughs> enough to say there. So, so it was. This movie is um, is much better than I expected. I have to say, I, when when you when you picked this one, um, I was uh, unenthused. <laughs> but it was. <laughs> but uh, you were right. You said no, no, no. It's it's uh, it's be it's better than you think. You were dead right. Well, I have to confess, I never saw this movie as a kid. This wasn't really my kind of movie as a kid. And um, I was flipping around the other day, and it was on one of the high-end cable channels, a triple-digit cable channel. And I just watched about 10 minutes, and I was immediately struck that this was a serious movie that was put together very carefully. So I stopped watching it, and I said, we need to watch this formally and do this at a podcast, especially because it has such an intense following yeah this is a, a movie that aged well i mean the last time i saw it was probably in the mid 80s on videotape um so i've seen it but I, I think i've seen it once you know it's been a long time so uh but it's it's a, one of those one of those movies that it was a big big hit when it came out that was then, huge it's huge it made 125 million off a budget of 15 million by the way i and can't it believe looks, it cost 15 million and it looks like, you know it looks you know it looks comparatively cheap i mean most of it is just guys running around in the woods i think you know the helicopter was the biggest expense it looks way budget and it's it's a there's a lot of like mid-range shots and close-ups and it looks it, it definitely looks uh it doesn't even look like 15 million but I will tell you before we get too far into it, what really caught my eye in the segment I watched uh, that made me sort of stop and say, hey, we should watch this was I watched just the opening 10 minutes of, of Rambo sort of wandering around the town. And I was really struck 
by how well it was shot. And this was uh, the cinematographer for this is Andrew Laszlo, um, who really, really did. He did a work on a B movie. Let's just say that. Well, so the director. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, and I will even forgive that this is the same guy who was a cinematographer on Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, by the way. Right, he did um, work on an A movie. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, so, but let's get back to this. Do you want to start us off with our summary? Sure. So uh, this, this movie is about a, a Vietnam vet named John Rambo, uh, who is clearly sort of at least semi-homeless. He's wandering around. He's somewhere in the northwest of the U.S., uh, Washington State probably, and he's looking for an old buddy from his unit. And he gets uh, he he wanders out to this homestead and finds out that the guy died a year ago from cancer uh, due to right. Agent Orange, as his family suggests. And uh, then he then he wanders he, he sort of wanders into town. He doesn't really have another destination apparently because I think he lets on that that was the last guy he was looking for. I don't remember if it was at the beginning or later, but he clearly at that point he's quite shocked and seems. As, as unhappy as he is before he talks to this, uh, his dead colleague's um, relative, he's even more unhappy after. And so he wanders into um, this town and he gets picked up about three feet into the town by um, the sheriff, who is uh, played by Brian Dennehy. Right, who does um, a really good job. Right, right. I mean, that's a, that's a tough part in this movie, too. Because um, he's essentially playing a jerk. He's a totally, he's totally unreasonable a lot of the time. And, and he has to kind of make it seem nuanced and he does. Um, and so speaking of unreasonable, I mean, so, uh, Rambo walks into town he, and the sheriff basically picks him up and says, you, you're dirty and you stink and you, your character is in question and you're, you're a wanderer and you're going to screw up my town. And every time all these ramblers come through here. Um, I kick him out because I can't let him stay in town. So he basically drives him over the town line um, and drops him off and tells him to go 30 miles up the road to eat because Stallone asks him, you know, can he get us something to eat before he leaves? Um, and, you know, and this is just to interrupt for a second. You know, this is a part of the movie where everybody's point of view kind of makes sense. Right? right. You could see why the small town police chief doesn't want this guy wandering around. He's maybe a little bit of a jerk to him, you know, and he's eager to sort of move him along and avoid what he sees as potential troubles. And you also see it from Rambo's point of view that he really hasn't done anything wrong. He's just passing through. He's looking for a bite to eat. Like this point of the movie they're setting the stage and you get to see everyone's point of view. Have you read, by the way, any of the Jack Reacher books? No. Because Jack Reacher is sort of similarly homeless intentionally. Like Jack Reacher is a sort of ex-army guy who has all sorts of combat skills. Um, and in the Jack Reacher book, like he has access to money. Like he has a bank card and he can go to ATMs and withdraw money from his account. But he is intentionally homeless. And it's sort of all woven through the Jack Reacher books. Like he buys clothes, wears them for a few days, and then throws them away. Hmm. Uh, so like Jack Reacher is, and I guess you could say in some ways as a descendant right, or, or a literary figure who's related to, to John Rambo. Right. I mean, although Rambo clearly they suggest and then flesh out later that 
excuse me, he's homeless because he's troubled. Um, he has PTSD. He's rather miserable. Um, but you know, the point of view of the sheriff uh, and at the beginning of the movie here is even though he's a jerk, he gives the sense that, that he's had trouble before with guys, I mean, with guys coming through town and you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, even though he, he's horrible to him, uh, he's rude to him, let's say rude to Rambo, but, and he's very, very judgmental. Yeah. He, he's, like he assumes all sorts of things about Rambo, many of which turn out to be wrong, but he assumes all sorts of things because he's been right in his assumptions about similar right. wanderers in the past. Right. So you can, you kind of, you can understand his viewpoint because of that. You assume that he has experience. He's had bad experiences. And the scenes of the scenes of him walking through town, him talking to the sheriff, being driven across that bridge. And then the, there's that great shot of Rambo deciding, like, no, I'm going to turn around and walk back into town. Right. And he gets a little like, angry. Right. And it's those I have to tell you, like, those scenes are extremely well filmed, as is the scene where he finds the widow of his Vietnam buddy who died. Yeah. You know, like the scene where he sort of wanders down to the house and he's like, this is his address. This is what he told me, you know, took me right. a while to find this place, ma'am. Uh, like those scenes are very, very well filmed. And it, it shows Rambo as sort of a, a peaceful guy who's just sort of weary of life. You know, he's not even war weary. He's life weary. Yeah. And he, and he, he's very um, sort of gentle when he speaks to the, the wife or the relative, because he says, you know, here, look, this is in his handwriting. He wrote it to me because he knows he looks scruffy. So he says, you know, he was my, he was my comrade, you know, look, he wrote this. It's in his handwriting. This is a picture of us together with a whole bunch of other guys in our unit, you know? So he sort of show, he, he knows that right. he has bona fides, right? He knows he has to kind of, he has to establish his bona fides with her because he looks so suspicious and he just wandered up basically holding a sleeping bag and he's scruffy. Um, Although he's not, he's scruffy, but he's sort of like Hollywood. He's a uh, he's Hollywood scruffy. Like his haircut looks okay, and his shave is sort of like just perfectly five o'clock shadow. Yeah, he's the same throughout the movie. He doesn't grow. Right, right. He's using that powder that they use in the science fiction movies, so you don't grow beard, <laughs> you know. Um, um, so, so then what happened? Then, then it all hell breaks loose. He comes back to town. They pick him up. They bring him into the police station, and then they start really sort of treating him badly. And there's one of the sheriff's deputies in particular who is really kind of a sadist and a jerk. Um, and, and it ends up that, you know, he, he obviously Rambo has PTSD and they end up sort of repeatedly triggering that. And right. There's all these flashbacks. Like they try to shave him. That's the climactic and a flashback point. to, um, you know, being, uh, being brandished, in his face by an NVA officer and him being cut up while he's tied down. Like he, there's all these sort of very, very graphic flashbacks to his time in Vietnam. Right. The Did you notice by the way, David Caruso is one of yes. the cops. Yeah. Yeah. He has a pretty <laughs> a very good role. Young David Caruso. Yeah. Um, of, uh, NYPD blue followed by, right. uh, what's that? Something CSI. Yes, one of the CSIs where you, you know, talk CSI, about CSI, you know, Trenton, New Jersey oh, or something. Boy, was that, is that, <laughs> he's way better in this city than CSI, let's put it that way. Yeah, CSI, Rapid City, South Dakota, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, they only did one episode of that one. 
Um, so and then the straight and then, razor, by the way, that's what really sets him off. Right. We'll shave him dry. They say. <laughs> by the way, why would they bother to shave him? Like, so this for me is where, like, the, it's almost three movies. Like, there's the the first part of the movie is all the things leading up to him being arrested, which I think for me was the most interesting part. And then the second half of the movie or the second sort of piece of the movie, which really is 75% of the film is, is sort of Rambo being triggered and fighting back. Right. And then he's at the police station and then they hold him down and, and then he single-handedly takes out the entire police station a la Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator. Yeah. Right. Just one guy is able to overcome an entire room full of armed, trained police officers. It, but it doesn't seem unbelievable to me. He moves so fast and he's at coming this from point, in, yeah, inside. At, at this point, it's not unbelievable because it also implies that the, the cops are not used to sort of organized resistance. They're used to sort of the town drunks or right. whatever. And this guy knows how to fight and he knows how to really, really hit back. And they are completely unprepared. It's actually amazingly non-stagey because... They, they, he moves so quickly as he, as he escapes that it's realistic. And, and the other thing is, you know, the pacing of this movie is excellent. I'm sure we'll touch on that again, but it's just, yeah, the whole movie is 90 minutes long. Yeah. And, and even though you can sort of divide it into conceptual sort of sections of the movie, um, the pacing throughout is brisk and well done. It's, it's just a very skillfully made picture. But um, so back to the plot. So then he escapes and then there's it just becomes sort of a, a hunt or combat picture from that point until way into the movie. And the 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 plot is sort of held together mostly by the 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 tension between or among Rambo, um, the sheriff, Brian Dennehy, and by his prior uh commander who's who's a colonel whatever his name is uh, colonel trout colonel troutman right who's played by um richard crenna richard crenna <clears throat> who comes in who who sort of shows up um yeah sort of do ex machina he just appears to explain everything right he shows up ostensibly because he he's trying to help and um he ends up sort of in the end talking to rambo after uh, there's there's a series of and very extensive survival scenes and battle scenes with Rambo, most of which are filled with um, some degree, more or less buffoonery by his pursuers, um, possibly with the exception of the sheriff, who, when he's finally in the action, um, Sheriff Teasel, um, Will, Sheriff Will, he, he sort of acts reasonably well at the end when he's on the roof, but... Um, in the end, Rambo ends up back at the town with an M60 machine gun with ammunition belts wrapped around him and sort of the iconic, <laughs> the iconic right. Rambo scene. He shoots up the town. He's about to basically kill Sheriff Will and Troutman sort of steps in at the last minute and tells him, you know, the mission's over. You have to come in with me. I'm going to take you back inside. And they, they walk away. Um, and, and that's it. There's no... Denouement, really, at that the movie just sort of is abruptly. It ends, ends very abruptly. Yeah, which is. But there's, you know, you but know. there's there's a transition that I think is important to discuss, right? Because the movie goes from 
him walking into town and all those scenes to the scenes at the police station and the the sort of bridge to the the centerpiece of the movie which is rambo running around the, the hills in this town is the motorcycle chase and the motorcycle chase is when rambo bursts out of the police station with everybody chasing him he essentially you know carjacks so to speak a motorcycle and shows incredible proficiency in riding this motorcycle and essentially outrides the sheriff who's after him in a car, ending in the sheriff rolling the car over. And then Rambo is able to escape up into these very, very high, inaccessible woods. Mountaintops, right? yeah. Are, right, is, which is essentially a surrogate for Vietnam, where he is now on familiar terrain... Right, he's, he's, he's in the wilderness. back in the jungle. Right. right, he's back in the jungle alone, being pursued by a much larger, organized, and well-armed force. So now we have this surrogate Vietnam for him. Yeah, it's guerrilla. He's he's basically a, a guerrilla warrior, and Troutman sort of informs him that that's what he did. They basically would go in and and conduct guerrilla warfare on the on the North Vietnamese army, apparently, or on the Viet Cong, whatever. And, right, and, and and Rambo essentially assumes the role of the Viet Cong. Right, he he basically uh, right, but it, the Troutman he's, suggests he's the insurrectionist against a larger, well-armed force. Right, and but sort of Troutman suggests that maybe as a Green Beret, that what they had done with him was what he did in Vietnam was uh, end up doing this kind of mission where they basically would run around and and kill and disrupt. So he's really sort of, he falls into sort of his skill set and back in his element. They also note that he won the Congressional Medal of Honor, that he, you know, he's, he's obviously, that's obviously the highest possible military decoration. Um, and and then, you know, they, the other sort of turning point is they escalate to trying to kill him uh, at this point. When they're, instead of trying to capture him, um, they're clearly trying to kill him. Um, and, and he still shows restraint uh, multiple times against them. To some extent. I mean, I mean, you know, they the 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 Congressional Medal of Honor winner, you know, it's part of all this exposition that Troutman delivers. Like Troutman's main job is to one, deliver exposition to the cops to make them realize that, hey, this isn't this isn't your typical doofus hobo who's wandered into town like this is a guy who has the best training that the u.s military can provide on earth and i think in one of the best scenes in the movie troutman is there to try to talk to rambo and there's a scene where they where they talk over the radio right and it's almost like they're talking as if they're still in vietnam like they're talking about the other men in the platoon and the mission that they were on then, and it sort of blurs the line between what's happening today and past missions that Rambo has been on. And I have to tell you that, like, to me, that scene was actually pretty moving because you could see Troutman is playing on Rambo's clearly damaged psyche to try to kind of bring him back into the fold and talk to him in a way that's worked in the past, even though the situation is completely different. Right. And uh, it's also some of the most dialogue that Stallone has in that scene. I mean, there, there's not much dialogue. Rambo does not get to explain himself um, very much at all. And that's, no, he, there's only two he scenes. He does in this scene, and there's a scene at the end where he gets to explain himself a little bit. Right. Um, 
and it's actually some of the best it's some of the best writing in the movie and some of the best acting on Stallone's part. Right. I mean, for me, the the nadir of the movie, which I imagine again, I imagine that the average Joe Sixpack in nineteen eighty two when this came out you know, some of the best things that they liked about this movie were the sort of crazy shoot 'em ups in the in the mountaintop. But for me, you know, that that is sort of the low point of the movie because it's it's where it makes the most sorry, it's where it starts to make the least sense. Both in the sense of you know, the National Guard is sort of portrayed as, you know, the town pharmacist and shoe salesman running around the woods, armed to the teeth, up to and including rocket-propelled grenades, which was ridiculous. Yeah, it's an anti-tank uh, missile, which they fired. That right. was the low point when they it's fired so, it's that. It's so item. stupid as to be ridiculous. Um and, and they're at the sadistic. Same time, you know, they basically are just they're out. It's almost like they're they're, they're hunting a human being and they and the, they're enjoying right. and it. And they don't even think twice about they it. They don't think about anything. They're just it's it's purely uh them just trying to kill someone and, and enjoy it in the most uh base and uh terrible way. And it's also it's hard to buy that, for example, that no one in this entire town was a Vietnam vet who wouldn't have any sympathy for Rambo or try to reach out to him. You know, they're just literally presented as a bunch of yahoos, you know, shooting up the woods and having a great time of it to the point where they even they even sort of uh, mock reenact the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima. Yeah. Uh, And and and, uh, you know. They have to be sort of called out for that, for their ridiculousness in terms of their behavior. I, I don't know. Like for me, like these scenes are the hardest. And it's also like Rambo becomes a little bit of a Superman in the sense that, you know, the, the rocket propelled grenade fires very, very close to him and he manages to escape you know, a huge incendiary explosion, largely unscathed. Right. Um, it's just a little silly. Uh, I, again, I know that I remember when this came out, talking about it to friends of ours, one particular friend in particular. <laughs> I'm sure you know who I'm talking <laughs> yep. about. Uh, and, you know, he loved it. He just thought that that was, you know, that was for him this sort of like exciting wish fulfillment part of the movie. But you could run around the woods and, and, and you know, beat an entire platoon of men who are after you because you were such a superman but it's it's kind of it's it's really hard to take and it's it strains credulity to the breaking point right so that you know so let's talk about what what they're trying to get at in terms of themes in this movie i mean what are they trying to say right so uh, there because i think the movie doesn't it's a good picture but they don't quite get it they're not sure exactly what they're trying to do in the end, in my opinion, because, you know, the only person that they show is a vet is Sheriff Will. And they don't beat you over the head with it. They and just Troutman. Troutman, right. But but I mean, Sheriff Will has a on, sitting behind him on his desk. He's got a purple heart and he's got a, like a like a bronze star or something. He's got a couple of war medals and he clear and he also makes reference to he's not the only guy who was who served and had a tough time but he doesn't ever talk about his own service but it's implied that that he did his part and that he didn't have the greatest experience either and and that that's really interesting to me and the fact that they didn't they didn't hammer away at that but it's clearly there is interesting so they're trying are they trying to be critical of 
hypocrisy about the country's treatment of Vietnam vets and and take that fantasy of sort of um, bearing ill will to vets who who participated in Vietnam because there were uh, you know, inhumanities that were, there were war atrocities that were, were perpetrated. Uh, and, and it was sort of the individual soldiers were blamed, you know, as Rambo references coming home, being spit on as a vet by protesters and I called mean, a baby killer, right? Which is true, you know, but is, is, are they trying to suggest that or, and, and this is just that writ large as, as everybody's trying to kill this guy because, you know, or are they trying to make a more subtle point about the fact that Rambo actually does go over the line and go nuts, which it seems like more the book was suggesting um, with their ending, um, which, you know, we'll talk about the intention. Right, yeah, the book has a completely different ending. Right. Um, and, and, and I think, too, some of this is, you know, this is a little bit of a pop culture way to address the raw wound of Vietnam. This is 1982. Right. That this movie comes out. Right. And, you know, we've had serious films about Vietnam, like, for example, The Deer Hunter, Mm -hmm. right, or Apocalypse Now. Um, You know, and this is years ahead of, for example, Platoon or Full Metal Jacket. But this is, you know, this is a less thoughtful you know, less ponderous view of what it meant to come home from Vietnam and have and have emotional scars. Right? This is more of like a a pop psychology take on that, right? right? Where it's where Rambo essentially acts out. Like that's his mo is he acts out. Like Rambo doesn't go to therapy; he grabs an M60 and blows up a gas station. Right, and and but right, but they're not really clear, like. Is he justified because people are horrible to him and that he is um, he's he's acting in self-defense or is he really just sort of so damaged by his experiences in the war and by PTSD that he's over the line or is it really a gray area and it's part of both? They they don't really get into that. And I, I think they could have with Sheriff Will, who is quote more normal in some ways right but but went through the war um they don't really contrast much of it even though they bring it up they present it sort of as being there so it's i I just i don't think they fully decided what to do i think the movie has you know it's it it sort of has these elements of a of a of a serious look and a serious consideration of of those issues about Vietnam and the the wound in the American psyche and the way we left Vietnam. But I, I think that it's also just an action picture. Well, and, and again, I think that Rambo makes much more sense, for example, when he is directly tangling with the sheriff or the sheriff and his deputies. Like, he's much, much more sympathetic at that point. Like, when he is running around town... Right. Blowing up the gas station. Right. Just wreaking havoc, blowing up the gun store. Like like for me, like at that point, you know, 
I had to take a step back and say, like, this is going into farce. Right. Or, like, Rambo is not so sympathetic at this point because he's now shooting up an area where there's civilians who are uninvolved in any insults that were delivered upon him by Sheriff Will and his men. Right. It, you know, and, like, for, and for example, you know, they start telegraphing what's going to happen in in a sort of primitive way as the movie goes on. Like in the beginning of the movie, you're like, what's going to happen? And as the movie goes on, there's less and less of that. And for example, there's a scene where Sheriff Will climbs onto the roof of the police station and there is conspicuous attention to this glass skylight. (laughs) And I just remember thinking... He's going to fall through the skylight like he's going to get shot and he's going to fall through the skylight. You know, it's like that that line from Chekhov, the writer, not the the helms of the (laughs) Enterprise. You know, like if a gun is seen in act one, the gun must be fired by the end of the play. Right. You know, and like like they went so far out of the way to show the skylight. I was like juicy skylight. Right. Exactly. And then when Troutman, uh, not Troutman, sorry, when Sheriff Will get shot and fall through the skylight, you know, like I was, I just kind of like rolled my eyes. Like it had no emotional impact. Like, like the thinking and the plotting of the, of the events and the action sequences, you know, became less and less interesting and more formulaic as the movie went on. And, and it made me wonder, and I, I commented on this to my wife who I spared from watching this, but I commented <laughs> to my wife, you know, it feels like maybe like that was a rewrite or that wasn't the same person who wrote or that, like they had a different script editor because like the, the writing in the beginning and the end of the film is much, much better than in the middle. And like, did somebody say, Hey, we need some more explosions here, you know? So let's sure. have, let's have him blow up this gas station. Right. Yeah. And let's have somebody fall through a skylight because that'll look cool. And I know a guy who's in stunt union 461 who can fall through a skylight, you know, like that's kind of how it felt. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it, they, they're trying to make a climactic scene to the action component of the movie. And they do that, even though it's, as you say, it's, it's not the greatest climactic scene, even for an action movie, but um, they do not um, ever reach a climax or a conclusion with the with the sort of emotional and cultural intellectual issues that the movie raises. Um, right, and for and and for example, another low point is the is when he steals the truck. Right, yeah. he steals the truck that has the M60 in the background. Military this truck. This is one year after Raiders of the Lost Ark, and there is absolutely no way on earth that you are going to convince me that they did not say, hey, 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 let's have a scene like that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where he comes in the passenger side window and throws the guy out the back to steal what's in the back of the truck. Like it was so overtly stolen from Raiders. There's no way that that was a coincidence. Like that scene, like I was just kind of like, well, you know, like, but listen, at least they edited out, you know, in, in the first draft, they, they, uh, they actually shot a scene where they <laughs> melt the jello head with a hairdryer. <laughs> right, right. But they edited that right. out. And, and the Ark of the Covenant was in the back of that truck. <laughs> or Harrison Ford was driving the truck. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but this is what I mean. Like the whole center of the movie dips. And again, I think that Joe and Jane Sixpack love that center part the most but for me it's the weakest part of the whole movie sure although so the ending eh, i don't think was great 
But the ending is, I thought the ending sort of had some recovery. And the ending is, you know, um, he has the, he has the, the shootout with, uh, with the sheriff. Of course he falls through the skylight. Right. Right. And then Troutman rushes in at the last and then second. Troutman rushes in and then the movie is saved by some dialogue. And, and there's a scene where Stallone cries and he talks about what it meant for him to be in Vietnam and to come back. And like, for example, he talks about how, and it's the line that I remember more than any other. He's like, you know, in Vietnam, I could drive a million dollar tank. Right. You know, and I was trusted and I was somebody and I was important. And then when I got back, I was spit on and nobody wanted me and I was discarded. And all the skills that made me useful and valuable in Vietnam were, were worthless here. And then... You know, he's sort of he's sort of crying in a heap and and Troutman sort of validates his character at the end, like all this sort of talk that only I'm only I can bring him in. Right. You guys and your guns are not going to bring him in. I'm going to bring him in like and that's true. Yeah. You know, and then the, the final scene of the movie is, uh, you know, Teasel gets taken to the hospital so it's implied that he's he lives the sheriff, sheriff will. rambo yeah. is taken out in handcuffs and you don't really know his fate like is he going to be taken back to the military and rehabilitated is he going to be taken to a psychiatrist does he go to jail you know you don't actually know until the sequel what actually happens to him right but there is at least the implication that he is now among people who respect him and understand who he is and he is going to get some form of treatment for the trauma that he suffered in in vietnam I, like like to me the movie is u-shaped like it starts up really high it dips very low in the middle and then it finishes very very strong and i remember thinking like how are they going to end this thing and i thought that the they ended it really well and like stallone's monologue with Troutman is great. I don't think the ending reaches the beginning because all that to me, it, what it accomplishes mainly is, is allows uh, Stallone to express his frustrations, but they don't address, um, you know, the rest of the issues. Um, I, I, I'm not saying you have to know what happens to him. I'm just saying it only, it really only allows him to, 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 to be more uh, open and be more uh, definite and explicit in explaining his, uh, you know, that he came home and he's, he can't even flip burgers uh, and, and, that he, and that he has horrible PTSD and that alone keeps him from, from functioning and that no, he, there's, right. no, there's nowhere for him to turn for it and no one understands it. Um, except maybe, you know, Colonel Troutman. Um, so, you know, yes, there's some redemption, but so, so, I mean, the other thing that, that I thought about a lot watching this movie was think about how differently culturally people think about, you know, veterans now than in 1982. Um, and, and, you know, part of that is Vietnam and, Part of it is I'm not sure if it has to do with the draft versus a volunteer army. I, I'm not sure if it just has to do with in general changes and in, in sort of cultural changes that have happened over several decades. But, you know, clearly I mean, now, can you imagine now if somebody's a Green Beret and they won they won the Congressional Medal of Honor 
And I mean, now they're just absolutely treated with reverence. I mean, there's nothing in our society now that is more reverent than a veteran, especially a special forces veteran and the most highly decorated special forces veteran. Um, and then it's just, he's just a drifter, you know, he's just, all the drifters are vets and, and they're all scruffy and they have PTSD or they're, they're all troubled and it, they just, they just create problems. They just create problems. And, you know, so there, there's a completely different, it's amazing how differently that went. I think if you have people, you took a, a random selection of Americans now and had them watch the beginning of the movie. I wonder, I think they'd be puzzled. Why is this guy, why is this guy not receiving any respect? Right. Well, and also I think it, Vietnam was sort of an atypical war and that the country was so torn about it, you know, it took I mean, a long like, time to, to reconcile that. Right. I mean, you know, and I mean, like I fly a lot, you fly a lot, you know, they board veterans before they board first class. Right. And in this movie, they wouldn't, right? they would have kicked them off the plane. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and I'm one of those people you know, like, I know it's a cliche, but like, you know, when I see a soldier at the airport, I say, thank you for your service. You know, like they get that all the time. And like, how many times have you seen, you know, the, the passengers on the plane applaud for the soldiers on the plane? Right. You know, that happens all the time. Um, you know, I mean, you think about platoon, for example, right. And, you know, you know, does Chris Taylor come home and do this or does Joker come home and act like this? Yeah. You know, like it's sort of unclear. Like you could imagine maybe Chris Taylor from Platoon is all torn up going home. You imagine Joker goes home and finds a job, you know? Yeah. But um, I don't know. Like it's it's funny because, you know, when you say the term Rambo, like people think of Stallone wearing a bandolier of bullets, yep. you know, yeah. firing like mad. M60. Right, exactly. But, you know, like, there is a lot more to this movie. You know, there's four sequels to this movie. God forbid. No, there there really are. No, there's four sequels to this movie. Soon to be five, probably. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's Rambo, I, you know, I've only Rambo seen... Rambo I've only seen... Nursing Home. <laughs> I said no strained kidney beans. <laughs> um, Where's Michael Lightly? I've only seen this and I've seen the second one, First Blood Part 2, which I actually saw in the theater. I actually saw First Blood Part 2 without having seen First Blood. I saw it with our friend, who shall not be named, who was really, really into this I probably stuff. saw it with you too also. Um, but, uh, you know, and, 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 the, and we're not really going to get into it here, but First Blood Part 2 is really the entire film is an exercise in wish fulfillment. You know, it, it takes place in 1985 and it involves Rambo going into Vietnam and finding, you know, uh, white POWs that are held in a prison camp that he gets to liberate. I mean, I mean, come on. Right. And then he wakes up in a, uh, in a chair at the end, like a, you know, he had his memory implanted. Like, <laughs> in recall. Yeah. Right. But I mean, the, it, it's it funny how the second how the second one veers so far from the first one and into sort of like, you know, what's the fantasy that the average American has that there's POWs held in Vietnam that we can go in and get a decade later. Right. You Which, know? you know, obviously is, is not even remotely, uh, has zero insight self, you know, insight about, uh, you know, it's a, it's sort of a, an early understandable, but 
but a, a fantasy that lacks any insight about what the real problem was. Right. But, but again, that's the movie that sold. And I, and I think that the second one did, you know, boffo box office compared to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Do you know that there's Indian remakes of this? And there's uh, scenes with uh, dance with Bollywood dancing probably in them. <laughs> I, I think the M60 uh, scene actually was set to music. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just it's interesting. Like this, you know. Uh, oh, do you want to talk about the book and how the book ends? Because the book has a very different ending. Yeah, I mean, I, I read. I did not read the book, but I read about it. In the end, uh, they they kind of shoot the sheriff and and Rambo shoot each other. And then uh, Colonel Troutman, I think, puts, you know, does a coup de grace, kills Rambo in the end, doesn't he? Isn't that the way the book is, is written? Um, in the book, uh, the sheriff gets killed. And um, I think that, I know that Rambo dies. Um, yeah, he dies, but I think Troutman has like a hand in it. Like he kind of, I think he puts him out of his misery or something. And then Stallone didn't want to do that. He wanted to keep him alive. Well, he probably thought there could be a sequel. Well, yeah, very clever. <laughs> I mean, at least somebody yeah, was I, thinking. I don't, I don't remember the exact details. I haven't read the book. You can buy the book on eBay. But the book, uh, the, in the book, the sheriff and um, Rambo both die. Yeah, I think it's something like it's some kind of extremely dark ending. That's like I said. Um, but, uh, you know. It's it's not uh, needless to say did not leave room for a sequel, right, let alone right. four. <clears throat> right. I don't know. Um, I'm you know I'm glad I watched this. It, it's sort of like it's an interesting insight into the way that Americans thought about the Vietnam War in the early '80s more than anything else. No, I mean it's way. Uh, you know, I'm being critical, but it actually is way better than I expected. And I would love. Yeah, I liked watching it, especially to... the first the first half hour and the last 15 minutes. Like for me, like that's where all the gold is. The shoot 'em up in the middle is it's it's mostly silliness. Although there is a great bit where he comes upon a boy who's hunting, and he lets him go. Yeah, he's sort of in full berserker mode, and he comes across. Some kid who actually bears a lot of resemblance to the kid who played Rusty in the second National Lampoon Vacation movie. Um, <laughs> and he sort of recognized that the kid is an innocent, even though the kid is armed, like the kid has a rifle. Yeah. And he he sort of assaults the kid, realizes that the kid is an innocent, and he takes the kid's gun and he sort of hurls it into the bushes where it can't harm him. And I thought that was sort of, for the middle of the movie, which for me is the low point, that's the high point of the middle of the movie, sort of showing that Rambo, you know, even though he's killing these National Guardsmen right and left, has not lost his inherent humanity and still recognized, like, that there are lines that cannot be crossed and there are rules to the combat that he is engaging in with these guys. Well, you know, he does the same with the sheriff, too. He tells him, I could have killed you, but I'm not going to. You know, he sort of says, let it be. There's another scene. But those hunters, by the way, the next thing they do, the kid goes in and screams for help from his from his dad, and they start shooting at Rambo immediately. <laughs> right. Right. But still, you know, at least he um, – at least, you know, there's that bit just to show that Rambo lets the kid go. Right. Let me tell you what I would love – for me in summary is to take the first is to focus group the first 15 minutes of this movie with a modern group of, you know, a modern audience and see what they feel about 
the 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 cultural milieu. Like, I would love to see what they think. I mean, I think it would be it'd just be remarkable uh, distinction from back then. Right. And a lot of movies, a lot of modern movies have sort of looked at what it meant to come home from the Gulf War and deal with that. Like, for example, Jarhead or other films like it, right? Or American Sniper is probably the yeah. best recent example, have sort of talked about what it means to come back. But, you know, in those movies, you know, the American population around them were not out to get them. They were sort of struggling with inner demons from the terrible things that they saw and thought and did. Right. Um, I struggled, by the way, quite hard to find a Star Trek connection for this film. <laughs> um, but there is, there is one significant Star Trek connection in that Brian Dennehy's daughter, Elizabeth Dennehy, um, most notably played Commander Shelby in the Star Trek Next Generation two-parter, The Best of Both Worlds, when she was positioned to become the new first officer of the Enterprise if if Patrick Stewart did not return and Riker was made the captain. Um, she has another Star Trek connection in that when Genevieve Bujold quit Star Trek Voyager after just a few days of filming, uh, before they pulled in Kate Milgrew to be uh, Janeway, Elizabeth Dennehy was one of the, she was like, I think she was the runner up to play Janeway. So there is in a sort of, you know, second degrees of separation somehow, a uh, there is a Star Trek tie in. No, hey, look, you know, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta deal with the material I'm, I'm given. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm halfway through watching, First Blood Part 2 right now Which is free on uh, cable This month so like when this was done I just booted up Part 2 and, and, and Part 2 does begin showing that he was Sent to prison so he doesn't go To the hospital it shows that he's sent to Prison literally like in sort of a Leavenworth type situation Breaking rocks with hammers that's the Opening scene of the Second movie but it's, it's clearly stated That he is in prison and he's Sprung to go on a mission Um that gets the second movie going. Anyway. Aye, aye, aye. <sighs> anyway, but I think definitely worth uh, worth talking about. Um, and there's definitely a lot of meat on this bone. And again, you can forgive it its excesses in the middle, I think, because of its, its good beginning and its good ending, minus falling through the skylight. <laughs> Big juicy skylight. Oh my God! Sent, you know, it's funny because the skylight is like so well centered in so many shots. Like they show it from below, they show it when he's on the roof. Like, okay, okay, I get it. There's a skylight, and we're gonna fall through it. Yep. I don't know. I'm kind of uh, first blooded out. Uh, The bloodletting is is complete on my end. Anything else you want to say on first blood? No, I think we certainly covered it. Okay, uh, but you know, but I guess last thing I'll say is, you know, Stallone does a good job in this. You know, like he really he carries the whole movie, and he does a good job, and so does Dennehy. It's a well made picture, and well, it's well played, and you know, the rocket launcher yeah. looks great. <laughs> and as you would say, to, to to borrow your favorite phrase, it is a greased rail. This movie, yep. right? The, the, you can summarize this plot in just a few words, and and they 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 really really stick to it from start to finish. Yep. All right, next week we'll just skip to, uh, what is it, part part four? Or, or we'll do the Bollywood version. <laughs> oh, that's even better. I like that. I'm going to get the soundtrack so we can right. really investigate. All, All right, right, thanks, man. Ya. All right, and don't forget uh, to check out our uh, From the Earth to the Moon podcast if you like this. It's getting bang, uh, just a just bang, 
bang loads of reviews uh, and downloads. So check out our From the Earth to the Moon podcast looking at the Apollo program. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.